Hello fellow planeswalkers, and welcome to Into the Ether Vortex. My name's Ninja Boy, your guide into all the different ways you can enjoy Magic the Gathering, and how they all come together into something wild, wacky, and a little bit magical. Hope everyone's doing well out there. We're heading into the last couple of months of the year. Thanksgiving is next week as of the release of this episode. Uh, it's been about a week, two weeks or so since Crimson Vow has come out. Um, I have act, I went to my pre-release at my local store, um, broke my two and two record for the past couple pre-releases going three and one. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But as with every set, um, I'm going to be talking about the cards that I think will be I'll be adding to my various decks um, whenever I get around to doing that. Hopefully, I think next year will definitely be the year um, once the new year comes around I've been at my job for a little bit longer and have some more savings so let's hop into it shall we uh, first off we have the cards uh, the decks that are not going to get any updates because uh, there are no cards that, from this set either Crimson Vow proper or Crimson Vow Commander that go in there uh, those are my Pirate deck my Cat deck my Thopter to Tribal deck my Dinosaur deck my Snow deck my Hydra deck uh, my Dragon uh, Cycles deck my Atarka and Tima Tribal deck and my God Tribal deck um, there is a Vehicle, a red vehicle. Um, I don't. I didn't think it was worth including into my dwarf, um, my dwarf vehicle stack. So not including that there. Uh, moving on, uh, the obviously headline of the set as the Vampire Tribal set is, of course, the Vampire Tribal deck. Um, we have Edgar Markov himself. Um, you know, uh, being the titular one of the characters in the wedding. Um, you know, and you know he has a new card in the set, um, and obviously I have a, a, a existing Edgar Markov um, vampire deck now. Frankly, I think there are now at this point way too many vampires. You know, in the same way that I think there are so many zombies that you could make a zombie tribal deck at this point, uh, multiple zombie tribal decks, and not repeat cards. Um, I think the same thing is here with Edgar Markov. Um, where there are so many vampires, and you take them in a bunch of different directions. So I think actually I think. You know, whenever I end up making, getting, putting in the cards from the set, I might end up making two vampire decks, right? I think uh, I might keep Edgar Markov as a more aggro, low to the ground, um, you know, you know, kind of like a, a higher power level up. You know, the, the typical way of building Edgar Markov is a bunch of one drop vampires and just aggroing it out and, and just get beating down basically. Um, so that's Edgar Markov, um, you know. And then I think I might take another one of the three color Mardu command uh, vampires um, and make a, a, a more slower pace. Out, like maybe Lysia, perhaps, um, as the as a commander for that. But basically, focusing on the legendary tribal, uh, legendary vampires as well. Um, maybe lean a little bit more into the new blood token mechanic from the set here. Um, you know, doing a quick search on Scryfall, there are about fifty-three cards in the set between the two sets that either are vampires or reference or or include the uh, new blood token uh, that we're talking about, which you know also plays into the slight madness themes that vampires have had for a while. Um, so you know, I think I'm going to you know not not going to go through every card listed here, um, but you know just some highlights that stand out to me uh, looking at it. You know, um, you know. Uh, you know, we have uh, specifically the, the legendary, the legendary vampires. You know, we have Henrika Domnathi, um, legendary vampire who, you know, uh, two mana black, two black black for so four mana total for a one three uh, legendary vampire with flying. Uh, being in combat, choose one has been chosen. Either opponent, either each player sacrifices a creature. Draw a card, lose one life, or transform her into Henrika Infernal Seer. Uh, three, four flying death touch lifelink with one black black. Uh, each kitchen with her uh, keyword abilities, uh, you know, gets a plus one plus oh until end of turn. Um, so, that, you know, that would go into the legendary tribal deck. Um, 
We have Timothar, uh, Baron of Bats, 4 black black for a Vampire Noble Legend, 4-4 uh, four, four with Ward, discard a card. Whenever another non-token Vampire Control dies, play 1 and exile it, and if I do, create a 1-1 one, one black bat creature token with flying, and when it deals common damage to a player, sacrifice it and return the exiled card to the battlefield tapped. Um, you know, looking at, let's see, let's see who are the other legendary vampires uh, in the set. Um, you know, we have Aunt Anzi, Maid of Dishonor, Miss Anzi. Uh, you know, her previous version was, you know, a little bit more madness focused for sure. Uh, here, she would be, you know, it's two black and red for a four or five when she when C or one or more other vampire enter the battlefield under my control, create a blood token and it triggers only once per turn, and then sacrifice another creature or blood token to drain two uh, from each opponent. Um, you know, definitely the blood tokens play into her madness theme or other iterations' madness theme. Uh, we have another Olivia, of course, um, Vampire Noble 4, Black and Red for a 3 4 Flying Haste. Um, basically, return target creature card from my graveyard to the battlefield tapped and attacking. If I don't control a legendary vampire, exile this creature, which, you know, even if Olivia dies, if I put under the legendary vampire tribal deck. Um, should be pretty good to, to have around there. Uh, Stefan Mora Progenitor from the, from the Precon deck. Uh, you know, Vampire Noble 2, Black, Red for a 3 2 Flyer. Beginning of Intercept, create a blood token for each player who lost life this turn. Whenever it attacks, deals or it may sacrifice two blood tokens. If I do, put a vampire card from the hand under the battlefield tapped and attacking gains indestructible until end of turn. Uh, we have Edgar, another version of Edgar, black and white. Other vampires get plus one, plus one. He's a 4 4. When he dies, transforms him into Edgar's Markov's coffin. Create a 1 1 black and white vampire creature with lifelink and put a bloodline counter on him. And when he gets three counters, comes back. So he can basically never die, really. Um, Markov, uh, and then we have uh, finally the last one, Odric, who you know basically makes blood tokens equal to the number of uh, keyword abilities among creatures I control. Um, you know, again, I'm kind of disappointed with how the Odric was, as I think most people are, but um, he would probably make it into the Vampire Tribal deck. Need to probably work on those deck lists at some point for sure. Um, yeah, not going to bog down the whole episode with just talking about all of the vampire vampire related cards. Um, it's kind of a given. There's going to be a lot of stuff that I want to add to the deck there. Uh, moving on, we have Sea Monsters. Now, there's an interesting take here, right? So my current Sea Monsters deck is uh, blue-green, um, you know, because that's kind of where most of them have been in the past, kind of focused on Cure. Um, however, with Runo Stormkirk, uh, he, he's another vampire, but he doesn't fit into the traditional vampire colors. He's one blue and black for vampire legendary vampire cleric, one for flyer. When it enters the battlefield, basically put a target creature from my graveyard on top of the library. So basically, and then at the beginning of the upkeep, look at that top card, reveal it, and if it's a creature card, transform Runo Stormkirk. Uh, so basically, Delver of Secrets himself, um, you know, especially with big creatures who presumably are going to be uh, sea monsters, because on his back, uh, Krothus, Lord of the Deep, is a Kraken Horror 3 5 flying. Uh, whenever the attacks create a, ta create a tapped and attacking copy of another target attacking creature, presumably, again, another zombie or uh, another Kraken, Leviathan, Octopus, or Serpent, because if it's one of those types, uh, it'll create two of those tokens instead. So, you know, with. There have been black, you know, sea monsters generally I haven't included in my decks. I'm not sure if this means I'm going to be moving, you know, my sea monster tribal deck to a uh, to a soul high build or, you know, keep it blue-green um, and, you know, figure out what to do with Runo with Stormcray at some other point in time. Um, that said, there is another edition which I think is a really spicy one. The Holebreaker Horror, Kraken Horror, um, 7-8 for 7 mana, 5 blue-blue. Uh, Flask can't be countered. Whenever I cast a spell, 2 is up to 1. Return target spell I don't control to its owner's hand. Uh, and or return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. So uh, pretty pretty busted card right there. Definitely a bomb and limited when I run across it. So um, 
yeah, I think that is a uh, you know that that would be a, a pretty easy include into the uh, current build of the C tribal deck. Um, and then there's also you know uh, another um, another serpent uh, biolume egg which helps with the low the low drop problem. Uh, two blue, it's only three mana for an O four serpent egg with defender. And there's a battlefield scry two helps with the mana flood. And then when it, it gets sacrificed, uh, transform it. And, and return it to the uh, my battlefield as a Bioloom Serpent, a 4-4, uh, where I can sacrifice two rounds to make it unblockable, basically. Um, I don't know if I have that many sacrifice effects in the deck. You know, this obviously plays with the exploit mechanic uh, in Limited. Um, so, you know, not sure if this is like, going to make the deck for if I can't sacrifice it, uh, but if I think there are enough outlets, I'll probably include it. Uh, moving on. Now, you know, I have my Kestia enchantment creature deck where, you know, the presumed uh, the presumed build of that is, you know, focused on Theros, looking at enchantment creatures, basically. Um, however, here we have... Um, we have, uh, you know, the disturb mechanic, which are basically spirits uh, who then, when they die, go to the battlefield and can be recast um, as, uh, in this case, ores uh, from from here. Um, so, you know, there are, there is something here where, you know, technically they're not enchant they're not enchantment creatures themselves, so it won't be in my all-in enchantment thing. But they do have an enchantment side to them. Um, and what's more, there are a couple that care about enchantments, right? Um, I think the ones that stand out most, you know, obviously those Catilda, Dawnheart, Martyr, uh, one white-white uh, for a spirit warlock with star-star power toughness, flying lifelink protection from vampires, and uh, its power and toughness is equal to the number of permanents I control that are spirits and or enchantments. So this is going to be really big regardless of my board just because of how many enchantments I have in the deck. Uh, what more, when it, and when it dies, it disturbs for three white-white. And the Catilda's Rising Dawn, which is an order that gives the same thing. Flying lifelink protections from vampires and plus X plus X, which is the number of permanents I control that are spirits or enchantments. So, you know, this is big because of enchantments and then it'll make other enchantment things big, other things bigger if it happen, happens to die. Um, so I think this is actually my probably making the deck surprisingly. Um, similarly, there's also Hollowed Haunting, uh, two white-white uh, for an enchantment. As long as I control seven or more enchantments, pretty easy in the deck. Creatures I control have Flying and Vigilance, and whenever I cast an enchantment spell, I'll create a white spirit cleric creature with this power, creature's power and toughness are each equal to the number of spirits I control. So, you know, it doesn't make new enchantments. Um, it just makes spirits that get bigger uh, with other spirits, but, you know, it, it's still another way. It gives me a nice... Uh, security that have more bodies to put uh, my aura bestow creatures on. Um, even if they, and, and even if they get knocked out from underneath them, uh, I think believe that I have to double check the ruling again. It's been a while since I played the deck. If the bestow creature will just uh, come onto the field as a creature. Uh Moving on to another deck, uh, we have Yuriko Ninjas. Um, again, definitely no ninjas in this set. That's definitely next set uh, with uh, you know Neon Neon Kamigawa coming up. However, you know obviously this deck functions with uh, you know one drop evasive, one two maybe three, but mostly one and two drop evasive creatures um, with upside. You know my general rule of thumb: if it's a two drop creature, it needs to be pretty much strictly unblockable. Uh, if it's a one drop creature, obviously strictly unblockable is better. Though I will take one drop flying creatures with upside. Um, here we have Lantern Bearer um, as the only card I think I'm considering for the deck. A one drop, one one flyer, you know, but this does have one of those disturbed creature cost um, abilities. Two in a blue when it's in the graveyard. Um, you know, it can uh, basically become Lantern's Lift. Enchant creature, enchanted creatures gets plus one plus one and has flying. Basically, you know, put this onto a ninja, um, and that and you know, Yuriko, you know, pays off by having to disconnect. Making my ninjas evasive, I think, is the second part of the game plan that sometimes I have trouble with with 
closing out the game with the deck. Uh, what's more, you know, the nice game plan of Yuriko is, you know, play one drop, say, you know, Lanterns, um, you know, Lantern Bearer here. Um, you know, so go down to, so, you know, draw a card, go up to eight cards, play a land and a Lantern Bearer that goes to, uh, that goes on to six cards at hand. Next, go around, draw a card, go to seven cards. Uh, presumably, play a black source and then uh, ninjutsu out uh, Yuriko um, and returning the card to my hand. Now, you know, I've gone up to seven cards, um, you know, played one, which was the land, um, right? And then so I go down to six. Yuriko comes in not from my hand, from the command zone, so still six cards in hand. Uh, ninjutsu the lantern bearer back to my hand. That's now another, that's back up to seven cards in hand. And then Yuriko connects with her ability, flipping the top, top card of my deck and looking at it, dealing damage to everyone, but then putting it into my hand. Um, as a result, I now have eight cards in hand, but I've also tapped out all my mana. can't make any more plays. I need to discard down. Feels pretty bad at that point, but because lantern bearer actually is, um, you know, place from the graveyard that's actually an easy thing to discard to the graveyard and then get some value in the future potentially maybe making Eureka flying um and and unblock and you know not blockable unless the opponent has a flyer or reach um or just put it onto some other creature that needs to be um some other ninja that eventually comes out and needs to be blocked for later in the game to close things out so i think there's actually a, the more i look at it the better of an inclusion this one is um for sure all right, and then, you know, we have the the clues deck, which I haven't fully built out, you know, again, still kind of in the process of retooling that one. Um, but, you know, a couple things here that are worth including. Obviously, you know, there are some uh, new clue cards, mostly from the pre-con decks, the spirits deck, um, Ethereal Investigator, three in the blue for a spirit, two, three flyer, and it's a battlefield investigate eight X times where X is the number of opponents I have. So, you know, getting at least, you know, two to three, at least one to three clues. And whenever I draw my second card each turn, create a one, one white speech or create one, one white spirit creature token with flying. Um, you know, there's some decent value there. Um, this order in the court is X, white, and blue for an instant XL, X target creatures and investigate X times. And then, you know, return the creatures to their battlefield tapped under their owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. Um, so either way to, you know, protect my stuff, right? The, um, and get some clues out of it or, um, or, or, you know, blink, blink some, or stop an attack from an opponent or block in some, whatever I want to do there. Um, and then let's see, we also have uh, Investigator's Journal, which is itself a clue, uh, two mana for an artifact clue. And it's battlefield with a number of suspect counters equal to the greatest number of creatures a player controls. Play two and tap it to remove a suspect counter from it and draw a card. Or, play, you know, a typical clue thing, pay two, sacrifice it to draw a card, basically. Um, easy inclusion there. Or it's, you know, the investigator inspector we're talking about here is, you know, from the story Jacob Hauken Inspector. Uh, one in the blue for a human advisor legend, uh, O2, so early drop. Uh, you know, draw a card, discard, and then exile a card from the hand face down. Look at that card as long as it remains exiled, then play four in the blue, four blue, blue. If I do, transform him um, into Hauken's insight, an enchant legendary enchantment where at the beginning of my upkeep, exile the top card from my library face down, and you know, look at it as long as it remains exiled, but then once per turn, play a land or cast a spell from among the cards exiled with the permanent without paying its mana cost. So, you know, definitely not a clue thing per se. You know, it doesn't actually interact with clues that much um, beyond, you know, maybe drawing stuff into my hand that I eventually want to pitch to it um, to, when I, to cast for free when I transform it. But, you know, it is still something I think that, um, you know, very thematically, you know, another investigator uh, fitting into the, the clue tribal deck there. Um... 
and then yeah, that is basically you know the cards that I'm I'm definitely going I, the decks I have that are getting inclusions from the set. Um, you know, there are a couple other decks I've th thought about. Like, you know, I mentioned the thirteen curses deck or, or the curses deck with thirteen and wits uh, sub theme. Um, you know, obviously there are a couple of new curses this set that I'm that I might add into there. I haven't actually built that one out yet. Um, and then we also have the werewolf tribal deck. You know, funnily enough, you know, it, if in limited uh, werewolves were, were kind of weak in the uh, midnight hunt, you know, werewolf focus set. Um, they're actually a lot better here, and you know, there was some pretty decent uh, constructed uh, ED8 uh, werewolves as well for inclusion uh, in this set as well. So, you know, whenever I get build werewolves there, that's that's a workout. Um, similarly, we also have, uh, you know, another red-green. Uh, we have Hal and Alana. You know, they came, they had their partner deck, uh, the partner cards in um, Commander Legends, but now they're getting their own card with both of them on it together. Uh, Hal and Alana partners, a legendary creature, human ranger, two red and green for two, three, first strike reach. Beginning of combat on my turn put x plus one plus one counters or another target creature i control or x is halal and alana's power that creature gains haste until end of turn so this got me thinking and hopefully i don't get canceled for this but you know they are basically girlfriends um you know, semi, I think pretty pretty canonically at this point, if not super super explicitly, but definitely implied through various means uh, in the fiction and so on. And they got me thinking about, hey, you know, there is another famous, uh, you know, uh, girlfriend pair before was it tried to uh, wipe that from existence, but people are not going to let it die. The gruel friendship of Nissa and Sandra. So you know, maybe combine my two Oathbreaker decks of Nissa and Sandra into uh, this deck, so it's a Planeswalker tribal slash. Um, Hall and Elena, you know, and I, I learned that you know, there's actually a decent number of, uh, you know, uh, female-led um, uh, legendary creatures. So legendary tribal uh, deck, perhaps, uh, with these two at the late, these two ladies at the helm. Who knows? Um, haven't fully built out it. I just kind of like threw together a list of who I could find on Scryfall. Um, uh, will I build this out? Maybe, maybe not. But it's still, you know, this fun, fun thing I noticed. All right, so that is all the decks that I am play that I am cards I'm planning on including into my EDH decks. Um, you know, not not too crazy stuff there, and you know, I, I am playing with some constructed stuff. Uh, mostly stuff I'm I'm taking from Saffron Olive um, to try to you know play on the ladder. Uh, you know, this is again a, a two month season instead of the one month season last time, so you know, I don't think I'm going to be drafting all two months. Um, but this is left go part of the way there. Don't know how I feel about double feature whenever that comes out in January. Um, in the meantime, though, um, you know, I do have to talk about my pre-release. Like I said at the top of the show, I broke my 2-2 uh, two and two record that I had uh, for both um, Midnight Hunt and Adventures in the Forgotten Realms at my local game store pre-releases. Uh, you know, going 3 and one So, you know, I ended up building a pretty decent uh, green and black tribal deck. Um, you know, just pulling up you know, the, the picture that I took. I put it on Twitter if you want to go ahead and take a look there. Um, but, you know, the deck, uh, pretty pretty average mid-range deck. Um you know, just starting in the one drop slot, you know, my, my pre-release promo was dig up, you know, the cleave card, uh, single green mana to search for basically and put it into my hand, reveal it, put it in my hand, or pay four mana to, you know, tutor anything up without having to reveal it. Um, also had the rare ascendant uh, pack leader, you know, wolf for one mana, two one, um, pretty aggressive rate, and then, you know, it gets a plus one, plus one counter if it enters the battlefield and I have a four mana value permanent or greater. Um, or, you know, if I cast a four mana, uh, mana value spell, it gets a plus one, plus one counter, which I have a decent number of in the deck um also snarling wolf uh you know one drop one drop wolf uh one one that can you know pay one in the green to become a three three uh only uh till end of turn 
Um, so those that you know, two pack song pucks were pretty uh, pretty key uh, in the deck. You know, one in a green for a one one wolf at the beginning of my combat on my turn. If I control another wolf or werewolf, it gets plus one plus one on um, pack song puff, and when it dies, I put gain life equal to its power. So you know, just within you know the first uh, you know two slot, the first two mana drop slots, and I already have four wolves. Um, just quickly looking at the rest of the deck, you know, I have another one in the three drop slot. Uh, you know, dark blade stalker. Um, you know, and then I have Hookbound Mariner. Um, so not, you know, not a crazy amount of wolf, but you know, decent, a decent amount within the deck that that'll do well. Um, you know, within also in the three dot, uh, in the four dot slot. You know, I have um, moving up the four dot slot. I have a uh, innocent traveler, a human, a being in a combat. If opponent may sacrifice a creature, if no one does, transform it from a one three into a three three flyer um, that gets plus 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 O if the opponent has a human. Um, you know, I also have opened the rare. Um, you know, Ovenwald Oddity, two black, two green green for a beast. Trample haste four four, so you know, pretty beefy out of nowhere attack. But if I'm able to get the seven mana and transform it, it becomes an 8-8 eight, eight, uh, Trample Haste and grants all my other creatures plus one, plus one Trample Haste as well. Pretty nuts. However, I think the real value of deck was in just all the removal in there. So in addition, you know, to... Um you know, in addition to the uh, the one that makes people sacrifice stuff, you know, I have uh, Rod Tide uh, Gogansua, three black black for a zombie Kraken, five four exploits. Uh, when it exploits a creature, you know, opponent sacrifices a creature. Um, which you know, I have Doom the Center, the two drop slot, which makes it an easy thing to sacrifice or even Snarling Wolf. And I also had just a ton of removal, right? So two drop slot, Parasitic Grasp, one in the black for Cleave. With Cleave, one black black. Normal one is just to deal three to any target human and gain three life, or just remove the human class for the Cleave cost. Um, you know, I have Wolf Strike in the three drop slot. You know, basically a pump, a punch spell. Um, Heroes Downfall. You know, classic reprint destroy target creature, Planeswalker. Bleed Dry minus thirteen, minus thirteen until end of turn for four mana at instant speed. And then two Grizzly Rituals, uh, six mana to destroy target creature, Planeswalker, and make two Blood Tokens, which helps me turn to my deck uh, to get to what I need. Um, I also, you know, well, we'll talk about this later, but by the end, I was also main decking a Crescent Canopy, um, you know, two green to either destroy an enchantment or destroy a flying creature. All right, so going through my decks, right? I didn't have uh, Crescent Canopy uh, in at first. Um, I think I had like the Headless Rider, which is like a, th a three mana, three one zombie that when it dies, you know, makes it two, it or another zombie dies, makes a two two zombie. I only have one other zombie, the zombie Kraken. So not wasn't getting too much value out of that. But starting off, you know, I my first game was against a guy named Matthew. He was playing Spirits, um, you know, the blue white Spirit Disturbed deck with a lot of auras, trying to pump them up. I ended up going two zero against him. Um, after the deck, we finished pretty early. I actually helped him uh, focus shift focus to a red green deck instead um and then you know uh uh, game two, you know, I played against a guy named Cameron. Um, that was a super close, super good game. He was on, you know, essentially uh, red uh, Mardu control, mostly red black, splashing for white. Um, you know, he I won the first game, uh, but in, in game two, he had a Stesnia uh, uprising, which is a rare that basically when you have when you know at the end of the turn creates a one one human. If you have exactly thirteen permanents, so including lands, um, you know, you can sacrifice Stesnia uprising to deal seven to any target, which basically hit me in the face for seven surprisingly uh, not not surprisingly but you know it definitely is deceptively a good card especially if blood tokens are in play because you're able to really accurately control how many permits you have even if you go into combat and you swing stuff out and, and you lose some stuff in combat um you can keep the the blood tokens or if you end up going to combat that you they end up not losing anything you end up just sacrificing some blood tokens in order to get down to the requisite number of um requisite number of permanents to dome for seven out of nowhere 
Um, so lost to that pretty closely. And then in the last game, you know, getting down to the wire, I, feel, I think I was down to like two or like got him down to like a couple of life. Um, and he lost to a treason effect, unfortunately. He stole, uh, I believe he stole the uh, the overworld oddity and just hit me in the face with it. So uh, with my own creature, and that's how I died. So yeah, that was, no, no, that, it wasn't the overworld. He, he stole the, uh, the the innocent traveler transformed it, uh, and swung in the air against and hit me with it. So yeah, he also had a, he was passing white for a wedding uh, wedding invitation which turned into, you know, the one, the, the wedding festivity, which gives plus one, plus one to all his board. Super gross card. Um, but yeah, that was a super close game. Um, and, you know, I think that was the one that made me realize, hey, I don't have much defense against Flyers. Um, and also, there's some pretty gnarly enchantments in this set that can probably just kill me out of nowhere. Uh, that's when I started cited in the question Canopy, uh, which worked out because my next game was against a guy named Sid. Uh, he was also in red-white aggro, and he specifically had that mythic that basically is um, a judgment a judgment. I forget exactly what it's called, but it's a judgment card. You know, the front side is a one-white-white, four-four flying defender Um vigilant creature um you know as turns go on you know he gets counters on him and then eventually he can start attacking as if he didn't have defender if i'm able to destroy him then he turns into a uh, curse which curses me uh and then basically over i have three turns and he gets more counters before uh it ends up you know killing it i target player loses the game um i was able to kill him i probably with parasitic grab no probably with like hero's downfall or some other removal spell i had um and then he put it enchantment on me but i was able to use my blood tokens to dig through find the questing canopy uh main deck and destroy that uh which you know kind of out of what's uh the enchantment which kind of he didn't really have a game plan after that so that he definitely worked out pretty well you know going into the final round you know i was two and one hoping to break my two two my two two curse uh played against a guy named ben uh so that, you know before the pandemic we actually would both play on another lgs uh, monacy um so you know we recognize each other from there um and he was on red black vampires kind of aggro game one um you know kind of stalled out a little bit but then he got down uh that demon uh seven drop demon six six flyer at the beginning of his end step sacrifice another creature and create a copy of it so you know given enough time his entire board will become six six flyers which is pretty hard to deal with um luckily i was able to want to just have the right removal in hand um i believe it was a bleed out uh and then again the main deck question canopy to deal uh with uh the flyers um which kind of surprised him out of you know i was main deck in question canopy um and unfortunately game two he flooded out didn't really have any plays uh in the game so you know, kind of just ran him over uh with my curve out so that was an unfortunate way to end it but you know it, it, he was pretty gracious about it it happens and you know i definitely had it happen to me um so yeah, I mean that was still 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 some great games, still you know good to catch up. So you know that was pretty much the uh, my pre-release. Um, I kind of was joking when I went to the staff at uh, Hex and East, which is where I played my pre-release. You know, I was kind of joking. You know, I was able to open the next box because I think the, I, I my my prize pool was I think like three packs. I had only two in the most open box. So I opened a new pop box. I'm like, oh, hopefully I get a sword in this one. I don't know if the the pack I got this from was from the new box, but uh, I ended up actually opening this stupid sexy sword and. Uh, in my in my prize pool so you know there you go plus you know when i got home i had my predator secret lair waiting for me at home so it was overall a good magic day uh, in any case, this podcast. Anyway, that's I think it. This for this episode. Um, you know, next month, uh, December. You know, 
I don't know what I'm going to do. I may take a break for the month. You know, it's obviously the holiday season uh, coming around. You know, actually, no, I think I probably will do my episode on how I've been doing maybe a little bit earlier in the month as opposed to the last uh, last week of the month during, you know, Christmas weekend or New Year's Eve weekend. Who, who knows? Um, but, yeah, I'll be talking about how the set has been doing. I've gotten about 20 drafts in so far. So I, I've, I've really been liking the last couple of draft sets uh, a bunch. So, you know, hopefully we'll be doing that. And even if draft kind of peters out for me, I uh, still haven't gotten my trophy yet. Um, you know, I'll be able to, you know, talk about some of the construction stuff I've been trying out from Safran Olive and MZG Goldfish and Against the Odds and Budget Magic and all that. In any case, this podcast is coming to its resolution. Let me know what you think of the of how Crimson Valve been going for you. What decks cards have you been adding to your decks? Um, anything I miss, I still be adding to my decks. You know, what decks are you interested in building uh, from Crimson Valve, be it EDH or other formats? How did your previous go? What did you open? How did how is your record? Let me know on Twitter at EtherVortexPod or via email at IntoTheEtherVortex at gmail.com. You can find Into the Ether Vortex on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and leave a review on any of those podcast stores or on Podchaser.com. Links to those in the show notes. My architect is with all my deck lists is linked with the username Nidsboy, Boyer than I. The intro and outro music is produced by Kevin MacLeod at Incompetech.filmmusic.io. Editing production by Nidsboy Media. Like I said, next episode will be my Crimson Vow play experience before we head into the new year. Uh, with January, no new sets coming out, so maybe I'll finally, finally be able to actually do a deck pack. Um, until then, though, may lands be plentiful, but not too plentiful. Past turn. <laughs>